are off. We are off and running on another episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Cinema Discovery and Project! I know, nice. We need a cool, like, 80s, um, like, intro like that. Like, super, like, wailing electric guitar. Wow, wow. Something awesome. Well, yeah, I just um, watched, I was just telling you before, I just watched Bill and Ted. So we need Bill and Ted to create us a... Um, you know, a theme song for the Yeah, for something the show. that you can play the air guitar to. Yeah. Just in awesome fashion. Yeah. Air we, guitar is something, I don't know if kids still do these days, but it's, it was something near and dear to my childhood because I never learned how to play guitar, unlike Steven. I play a little so, bit. Not not not, right. not enough to, to be playing air guitar, uh, but uh, I could, I'll still play air guitar. I mean, it's still better than what I actually can do. So, <laughs> but, um, but that would be dope. Yeah. But... Today we are going to be diving into um, another film, and the film is going to be something that Stephen picked, and it was something that is in line more with my tastes, perhaps, or something that I'm fond of, and that is specifically a David Lynch, art house, wreck your mind type movie, which, not that Stephen doesn't like those, it's just like I'm a big fan of David I, no, Lynch. I, like, I, I, knew, I knew picking this movie because Andrew's been so kind picking stuff that I liked the last couple times um, that I would pick something that was very much in his wheelhouse that he would be very interested to talk about. And I know he likes surrealistic films. Right. He likes, he likes cerebral stuff like that. So I figured let's go straight up uh, one of the best art house movies I think has been made, you know? In the, in the I sense consider of like this movie, it's hit the mainstream at least in some way. Yeah, I consider this movie to be like art house movies 101. Like yeah. if there's ever like a, like they always do those essential lists on websites like, hey, 10 essential whatever movies if you want to get into some something. Yeah. And for art house, I would say that this movie is, is on all of those lists. Oh, and yeah. this is Eraserhead by David Lynch, his first feature film. Which it, I thought 1977. Yeah, was weird as I, for some reason, thought it was 1978. I don't know why. And why would you think one year off? Oh. I know, damn it, <laughs> damn it. Um, but it is his first film, um, and it is it's a mind it's a mind messer upper if that's a thing. Yeah, it's it's it's. I would say out of all his movies that I've seen, I've seen most of his movies. It's I would say it is the most artsy. I mean, I would say, I mean, in the sense of like trying to tell a story straight up visually, but not, uh, but indirectly visually, like it's not telling you really anything straight up. No, um, um, I mean, it's not my favorite David Lynch film, but I could tell you from beginning to end, it is exactly as you say, it's surreal from beginning to end. Even my, my favorite being Mulholland Drive, at least there's some type of a plot line yeah. that you're following, a story or something, and then it, and then as the film goes along, it gets more and more surreal, more and more weird. This film starts out weird and gets even weirder as it yeah. goes along, and then crescendos into a world, a world of weird. Yeah. And yeah, it is a film like I was telling Stephen. I haven't seen in probably eight or so years, seven or eight years. And I remember the first time I saw it, I wasn't prepared for it. Because, like, seven or eight years ago, I was, like, 25 years old, just starting getting into, like, art house cinema, just starting getting into foreign cinema, you know, stuff like that, really expanding my horizons. And then, I, you know, I reached for the sky, I would say, too high, <laughs> slightly <laughs> too high with this one. And a friend of mine, we were all sitting around, and he had borrowed the DVD, because this was before the Blu-ray, and this is when the DVD was not quite out of print, but you couldn't really find it, and... 
he had borrowed it from a friend and we all sat around and we watched it and I was just like, yeah, I, I wasn't ready for this. I'm traumatized by it. <laughs> and then watching it all these years later, I'm now re-traumatized by it, remembering like, oh yeah, that's why I haven't seen this movie in eight years <laughs> because yeah. it is messed up. In and, and it's not messed up in the sense like, oh, it's overtly gory or it's like there's like, you know, extreme violence in it or anything like that. Just the whole tone of this film just gets under your skin and the themes in it and the way it's all aesthetically presented to you is so unnerving and disturbing to me. Well, I mean, I mean, it's a very, uh, you could say by, I guess, whatever you want to translate as what the themes are of the story, it's a very cynical movie. You know, it's a very oh, cynical yes. movie Every about, um, you know, fatherhood, about sex, about all that stuff. I mean, it's just ultimately a movie about sex um, and how I, that... Yeah, I would say, yeah, you could say that. I mean, I think the main consensus on it has been... It's an exploration of David Lynch's fears about parenthood, fatherhood sure. specifically, specifically when uh, when his young daughter, well, not young, she's not young now, but when she was born, uh, Jennifer Lynch, uh, she was born with a physical um, deformity. I think she was born with like webbed feet or something like that, yeah. and she had to have a series of corrective surgeries to to you know fix that. And I think it just goes through all of that anxiety and stuff about being a parent and and the film kind of expresses those in very uh specific and um overt ways but it's also a film that i've heard described as a, a film depicting both heaven and hell both a dream and a dream and a nightmare mixed into one and that really describes a lot of uh david lynch's work you know the mixture of nightmares and dreams at least from what I've seen from his work. Um, there's a lot of precursor stuff in here that I would see him use later on, but we'll get into into yeah. some of that. Um, and for those of you who've never seen the film, just brief, brief synopsis, because we're going to spoil the heck out of it anyways. Um, the film centers around the character of Henry Spencer, who tries to survive his, his industrial environment, his angry girlfriend, and the unbearable screams of his newly born quote-unquote mutant child we'll get into that uh, but the film stars jack nance in the in the lead role as henry spencer and jack nance many of you may have no may know him more specifically as being in other david lynch works such as the lost highway as well as most prominently in the series twin peaks he played pete martell um he sadly passed away in 1996 i believe from a, I would say like a brain hemorrhage or something like that. It was a very mysterious, tragic ending where he had gotten in some type of fight and he had sustained some head injury and then, you know, the complications yeah. from that led to his death. And this was 1996 or so, so, you know, we're talking 24 years as of this recording. So a long time ago. I have a feeling that if he had still, you know, been alive, he would have been probably in the Twin Peaks um, return from yeah. a few years ago. <clears throat> Because they seemingly got everyone back from the original series that that was that was alive or that wanted to participate, which was about like ninety percent of the cast. I think he would have been in that, but he was in, um, like I said, other David Lynch stuff, and then he was more of like a character actor. Uh, nothing, nothing too big. He was in like the movie Barfly. He was in Blue Velvet, another David Lynch work. One of my favorite, City Heat, which I think is the Clint Eastwood film. No, with Richard Benjamin, was. But Clint Eastwood was in it. That's what I remember. 
Um, then he was also in, I think he was in the 80s version of The Blob or something like Yes, he was, which I it's a movie I really like. But so he, he was in it. And the film also stars other um, actors that are actresses you really don't probably won't know, like Charlotte Stewart, Alan Joseph, uh, Jean Bates, um, uh, Laurel Neer. This is this woman's only credit in her career. And she plays the woman in The Radiator, which we'll yeah. get to. And yeah, talk about having one credit on your complete IMDb. And it's <laughs> this image that is so synonymous with this movie, other than Jack Nance and his hair. Yeah. Um, I think the image of the woman in the from the radiator is is synonymous with the film as well. So, <clears throat> let's get into it, shall we? Uh, you know, it's just going to be dangerous, but let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to go through some background making of stuff. We can talk a little bit about that later. Uh, yeah, as it comes, maybe end. as it comes I just up. I think it's or, interesting yeah. how the movie was like made over a series of four to five years and was made on a super duper low budget. Uh, but we'll we'll can maybe tack that on at the end if we have time. Sure. But the movie opens, and Stephen, I don't know if you took notes for this, but... Oh, I did. Uh, It opens, you have, like, um, an image of this, what I guess looks like a planet. Um, I thought it was a brain. I thought it was a brain. Well, it kind of... I think think it's supposed to look like a brain, but it's... I think it's also supposed to be kind of like a... a, Either like a planet or like an asteroid, like some kind of... just, Just a ball in space, basically. And then as as you see it, you also see kind of a faded image of our main character, Henry, you know, sideways in frame, um, kind of uh, floating around there, kind of looking off into the distance. And and, and it's superimposed as yeah. like a, almost a dissolved, like overlaying. Yeah. It's kind of like floating around his head. It's kind of, kind of like you said, it's kind of the rock is kind of showing like it's representing it in like it's part of his head. Like, it's inside of his head. We're seeing this rock is, this planet, this brain is what's inside of him. And after we see Henry superimposed over top of it, we kind of go inside that that brain, and then we see this, like, weird man. Creature thing. Uh, yeah. It's called the man in the planet. Yeah. And he's portrayed by Jack Fisk. Yeah. Now, Jack Fisk, for those of you, those of you don't probably don't know the Jack Fisk by name, but you've seen his work. Because he's, he's a production designer, and he's worked on lots and lots of movies that many of you probably know of. He's worked on um, The Tree of Life, There Will Be Blood, The Master, Knight of Cups, uh, Song to Song, The New World, uh, The Thin Red Line. Um, so he's him and Terrence Malacher. Yeah, they're like best buddies. I think they worked on, I want to say they worked on Badlands together back in the day. Uh, yes, they did. When, when it was called Art Director, not Production Design, because yeah. I think they changed the name. But he's also married to the actress Sissy Spacek. Oh, okay. And I believe they met while they were working on Badlands. Um, he also did like the art direction for Days of Heaven for Carrie. So you're getting you you understand he's he's been around for a while. And he's still yeah. he's still working today. Like he did The Revenant, um, and he's also got like another upcoming credit as well. But yeah, so he's he's been around for a while. But he plays this deformed creature man thing who's just he's pulling levers. He's, yeah, he's he's sitting at this window, just kind of looking out the window, and he has these levers in front of him that are there for purposes that we could we can try to you know figure out for ourselves as we go along. But um, and then I think as we we look at that, um, we jump to like a puddle. There's like a puddle of water, puddle of mud, 
<laughs> reference to a band. Nice. Um, nice. And you kind of go into that puddle of mud, and then it kind of like it's very artsy, as we've said. You know, it's yeah. There's like a isn't there like a yeah, like he control like the way you, so I'm reading here is like a it's a spermatozin like creature. Well, yeah, I mean, it looks we, we, like it looks like what you know sperm we, looks we, like. We get a picture of Henry, and he's like kind of got his mouth open, and then this sperm like creature comes out of his mouth, floats out of his mouth, and falls into the into the puddle. Um, and then yeah, and then we get, and I believe doesn't it like travel through what I assume is like a birth canal. Yeah, this is all of... representative of, of that he's probably just had sex and he's probably yeah. just, you know, and now this is, you know, and you know the kid being conceived and then the last shot we get is we see this black blackness and then this white hole and the white we go yeah. right out through the white hole and the first person we see is Henry. <laughs> yes. And he is I believe like walking through this just bleak, bleak, industrial, monochrome landscape. You know, it, when it starts out, it kind of reminds me of the movie Stalker. You know, like... Yeah. Yeah, from Tarkovsky. You know, like, very just... Just almost apocalyptic land... You know, industrial landscapes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... You know, he's just kind of looking at the camera, and then he... As soon as we come into frame, he starts walking away from the camera. And then... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then we just kind of follow him through uh, the, what is, the, the, the it, muck. Yeah, and what is interesting is we don't see too much of his world. We just see we just see enough of it to get a gist of this dystopian, like machine-like, factory-filled world of just like automatons. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it yeah. feels like it's like that. You know, like seventies dystopia where it's. Eh, you know, you know the Big Brother type, you know, nineteen eighty four type place, and it, and we don't get much of it because, like I said, the film is super low budget. The movie, I don't even know what the budget was on it, but I'm assume, but I'm assuming it was very very cheap. Let me see if I can. I don't even know. If I'm sure it was under. I, yeah, I heard. Yeah, the budget. I mean, IMDb says ten thousand dollars, which I wouldn't be surprised if that is indeed the, what the budget is yeah. estimated at. Um, cause all you get is, is him like walking through, like we said, this industrial park with gravel and, just, and the movie's in black and white. So it's very dark. This film is so, it movie is so dark that sometimes you can't even like see stuff on the screen. That's how dark it is. And I think David Lynch purposely wanted it to be extremely dark. Cause like me, like Steven said, you know, very bleak, yeah. very, there's no, nobody smiles in this movie <laughs> except no. for that one Except for the father, yeah, later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we just get him walking, and he's just walking home through, like like we said, the rubble. And and then he goes into, like, his apartment complex. And there's a... Um, he has these mailboxes. He gets his mailbox. Yeah, he yeah, gets to yeah. his mailbox. He, he checks it, and there's, like, nothing there for him. He kind of just, you know, doesn't really care. You know, there's nothing there. So he, then he goes to the elevator, and... and uh, it takes like uncomfortably long time for it to close. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's like those old, those old clanky elevators. Whereas, like, if I mean, some buildings may still have them today, but if you get into them, you're like, hopefully this doesn't stall on. Well, me. They're, they're apparently, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't, you know, explained this to myself too much, but I didn't you know, listen to some other people's um, analysis of this film. They say that there's a little bit of a 
um, you know, technology theme or, or in, you know, stuff of industrialism in the movie too. Mm. I don't think it's the forefront theme, but I, do you think do you think it's anti-industrialism or just the idea that industrial industrialization um, is replacing humanity? Yeah, I think so. I think a little bit of that in there because. It seems like everything, I guess everything that has to do with technology in the movie maybe is working against him in some way. I don't mm. know. But mm. um, I don't know. I, I haven't delved too much into that part of the thematic stuff uh, personally. But um, but yeah, apparently it's there, at least some people think. Um, yeah, but moving along, he's going into his apartment and then there's a neighbor woman across the hall. Um, and she is played by... Uh, Judith Anna Robert, Ro- yeah, Roberts, and she's like this beautiful woman who lives across the hall, and she says that there's a message for him um, that that his girlfriend left for him and has invited him to, din- him to dinner with her and her family. Yeah. And he, the way his response is like very, like, like just like, just uh, very cold, like, oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then he just stands there uncomfortably for a few seconds. I, I think goes into his apartment. I think I think the reason is is because I think for a while now he's probably had some kind of fantasy about this neighbor woman. Oh, um, and now that, definitely. Yeah, and now that she knows that he has a girlfriend, it's like, well, you're fucking with my style. <laughs> well, if anything, that yeah, that plays heavily, heavily later on. I think. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Um, but he goes in, and now we get to see where he's staying, and. Um, it's it's a one it's a it's one a one room. one room deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one room with a a, ba- a little tiny bathroom offshoot which we never see. Yeah. Um, and it's just like a bed, like nightstand, like some furniture. Some and he's got dr- like a bunch of unpotted plants. Well, yeah, he's got he's got this. Pic- there's a picture on the wall. If you look closely, there's a picture of a mushroom cloud on the wall, um, and underneath it is uh underneath the mushroom cloud picture is this dead tree that's just sitting on the dresser unpotted just in dirt so like imagine just dirt it's just dirt with a tree sticking out of it yeah (laughs) it's like i don't know if that's supposed to represent something I, i think it's supposed to represent death i mean i think it's the tree of death um well very that's actually very fascinating because if plant life typically represents you know you know uh life yeah. growth things like that that could very well be the opposite of it or and also the idea of the unpottedness of it could represent rep- <coughs> rep- represent freedom <coughs> i think andrew just Sorry, died he, he's, he's losing his mind over there Speaking of death, it, yeah. this movie really does it to you um but yeah i, I just oh. you know with the picture on the wall of like the nuclear explosion and then the de- the tree that that's has no leaves on it that's dead unpotted under I think it's supposed to represent death um yeah, in like some way it, the death not maybe literal death but like it's definitely figurative death, figurative get- death, of death, the, you know? death of the spirit death of the soul yeah because I mean, he's living a rather bleak life and dispirited life this whole yeah. movie has no and it's only going to get worse it's only going to get worse it only gets worse from yeah. here but um so he goes in and 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 uh now you know. I guess you kind of just get a sense of he just kind of sits and looks around at things, and the radiator makes this noise, and he kind of just looks at it, and and then he decides he's gonna make his way over to his uh, the, uh, was it Mary is her name the girlfriend yeah, Mary uh, Mary X oh, by Charlotte nice. Stewart yes yes um, and uh, 
So he makes his way over there. and This is probably one of the first scenes I ever saw clips of from this movie. Yeah. Um, the dinner scene. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing this and probably watching like documentaries or watching montages or watching something when I was first getting into like art house cinema, first getting into David Lynch. Um, and so he's there and he meets... He meets the mother and the father, and then there's this grandmother who's just sitting almost. Talk about uh, well, to be me. Talk so, about so, not living. Um, she's just in the kitchen the whole time. Well, you know, so yeah, when he meets, when he comes in, he sits down, and you know, the daughter, the daughter Mary's sitting there with him, and then the mother's across from him and asks him, you know, what does he do for a living? He's like. I'm on vacation. <laughs> so to me, that 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 kind of represents this idea of um, Henry as being this somebody that's not grown up, um, you know, somebody okay. that somebody that's not really um, in a good place to be uh, where he's about to be, which he doesn't know yet, uh, which is being a father. Um, yeah, I mean that's very interesting. I'm, I mean that's something that's straight out of today. Oh, you yeah. know. Um, Un- unplanned pregnancies, unplanned um, uh, people get having children, yeah. and like they're not really in a solid place in their life to take on this type of responsibility, which is as one as we all should know is uh, a monumental task, yeah. a lifelong job, if you will, a lifelong thing you have to do, and yeah, it, people should people should be taking it more seriously than I think they do. Yeah. And uh, and he's about to get a rude awakening very very soon as yeah. to how difficult that job actually is. And but he, but he but we do find out that he works at a factory. That he's a factory worker. Yeah, a uh, pencil shop, isn't it? Or pencil factory. I, I mean, I, we see that later on. We see that. I, I I assume that that's where he worked, but maybe not. I don't know. But um, but yeah, his then you know then the father comes in and he apparently is some kind of plumber. Or something like yeah, that. He's like he's, he puts. He's, he apparently put in the pipes everywhere in the whole city. <laughs> yeah, he's like a man. He's man-made. Yeah. And and the father seems very. I talk about. It, I mean, I I just mentioned there are no really happy characters. He seems like to be the only like jovial person in the whole movie. <laughs> for the Somewhat, most part, you know. Um, he's very talkative. Like he he doesn't mind talking and being, you know, relatively nice. Uh, he's even going to you know let. Henry carved the per- carved the chicken, um, a tiny chicken, mind you. And then what ends up happening? And this is the this is the part that I've seen that I saw before I even saw the movie. Is the little the little chicken that's in Henry's plate starts to move. Yeah. It starts to like the the legs start to move and starts to like you know go back and forth. Then it starts to like bleed out. I would say. Yeah. And then the mother starts having a crazy crazy reaction to it. Yeah, I, I think. Um, I, yeah, you could. You could maybe. It's, man, it's weird. You could maybe look at this scene as obviously being more symbolism for for birth, for uh, you know the the, the yeah. imagery of birth. You know, because the it's between the legs of the chicken and the chicken's kind of pulsating yeah, the, its legs. Gushing and, out. Yeah, and um, you know, back to the father too. Also, I think you know you say he's the only character that's got some maybe some pep to him. Right. I would say Energy. I would say maybe the reason is is because he's somebody that maybe has accepted his moral place um like I because I, I think with our character Henry though he he's not we know we can tell that he's not like exactly the greatest dude 
I think he he's also fighting with the fact that he he's got guilt and he's dealing with that you know but I think the father has accepted them things that maybe in his life that he's guilty about and he doesn't care and so he's ha- he's he's happy you could say people that are okay with being morally questionable uh, are happier maybe um yeah I mean that that would make some sense I mean that definitely makes sense because um, he's been because he's been figure he's been uh, imagery imagery wise laying pipe as they say huh huh sexual yeah that's um, what I'm saying I mean like it, it's all sexual stuff like he yeah, lays, he's mean, laid he said he's laid piped all over town he's he probably been that. spreading his seed everywhere he doesn't give that, a shit yeah like I didn't even put that together until you just said that that <laughs> makes a lot of sense now um, I mean the movie yeah I mean David Lynch himself has not shied away from sexual uh stuff in his films at all yeah. so that would make a lot of sense um and and but this kind of episode if you will this event leads the mother character to um kind of confront henry if you will <laughs> um oh man uh, how do we just describe this she she confronts him like asking 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 him if he's had intercourse and then she tries to force herself upon him in a way and it gets it. That's a little weird. That's <laughs> a little weird. I don't know how. I can't. I can't figure out the reason for this one. Um, I don't know what he was going for in that scene. But it leads to the fact that he's having. You know, she brings she up had that a he, child. That he's yeah. having a child. And uh, well, I, I I led it to believe that the child has is already been like because I believe she says there's a child at the hospital. Oh yeah, it's already been born. Yeah, it's already it's been already born. been born, and. And uh, Mary's Mary, Mary is um, she doesn't quite say that it's a child. She doesn't quite <laughs> like come out and say what it is because I don't think they they she they say it's premature. It they do say it's premature. Yeah. So she tells them that yeah, and it and that the two must marry. The two have to get married. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I said, Mary's not even sure what she had was a child. So. What we get is a transition to, um, like, some time has passed. Yes, time and, has passed, and, and living, we learn that the couple together. have moved. Yeah, they moved into that one room apartment. <laughs> yeah. Not the best starter upper for a family, but got to work with what we have here. Um, and they begin taking care of the child. And I believe yeah, this is another scene where it's just him walking well, home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say just he's walking home, kind of making his way, and he does. He checks the mailbox again. Yes. And this time, there's something there for him. Yes. Um, there's this box, and it has this, like, weird little worm thing in it. Yeah, I didn't know what that thing was. It looks like a, like, um, well, it, a I, maggot, a maggot yeah. of some kind. Once and, again, I, now, one of the analyses I read, it, and I, I think I agree with him, I think this represents his seed of infidelity for later in the movie. Uh, mm. it, 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 okay. You know, that it kind of represents his need to uh his sexual desires for others and um because he's not getting it from his his wife his wife um so he you know he's got the neighbor woman that he's you know has desires for and you'll it comes back again later um so he takes this seat upstairs and uh yeah, he puts it back in this little box and he brings it with him um but what something i do want to emphasize that throughout the movie and I think what really helps with the aesthetic and what it helps with just how unnerving the film is is the sound that's in this movie, the sound design and the sound mixing 
and what you hear is just a combination of like industrial machine sh- sounds if yeah. you will like sometimes it feels like it's metal on metal clanking it feels like you're in a wind tunnel like if you're like for those of you who have, who have gone on airplanes um uh, when you're when you're getting to go onto an airplane you go through this tunnel and there's just all this wind around you and it felt like that and it's just it's crazy crazy sound that just kind of burrows into your head and it just like influences the tone of the movie yeah. and that's why all of this is so unsettling at least to me um but but he goes into the apartment and we see um that Mary is feeding the baby and having difficulty feeding it because it doesn't want to eat as as babies do. Babies constantly are fighting and, you. And this, to eat. Yeah, yeah, and this is your first look at the baby. It's your first uh, look at the baby. And Stephen, <laughs> how would one describe it? I, I would. I mean, a sperm, a, a grown-up sperm. Like I mean, it looks like um. It looks like yeah, yeah. It, it looks like a snake, maybe you know, like it look like a like a little baby Voldemort. If you saw the baby Voldemort <laughs> at the end of Deathly Hollows, that was like just like barely hanging on for life. It right. kind of looks like that. You can see like pictures of it online if you're really curious of what it looks like. But like Stephen said, that's kind of what it looks like. I would I almost describe it as like a squid type creature, yeah, uh, child thing because it feels like it has the the skin texture of a squid like that, that that you know wet um you know rubbery looking type type of skin and it's and it's it's wrapped up in in like bandages or something yeah i, I have a, i have a, some imagery for you later when we get in a later scene i'll i'll bring it up to you but it'll help maybe contextualize what what it is maybe right but um so yeah, they're she's trying to feed the baby. It's it's not wanting to eat, and he's just I think he what lays down on the bed and starts looking at the radiator and kind of starts to fantasize. Yeah, he looks uh, at the radiator, looks outside, and starts fantasizing. And this radiator like lights up, and you see this like little stage inside the radiator, but you don't know like you don't understand really what what's the deal there. It just and he just kind of looks at it, and then I think he gets brought out of his like trance by her. Um, I think finally getting the baby to eat something maybe i don't know i I, something just you know she he looks over and smiles at her um or something but um yeah is this where we see we see the lady in the radiator for the first time right or uh, is that later i think i think it's later well i i know i know that they they i don't i don't think you see her yet but i think right after this is when they go to bed um and so the baby just cries it, all the time. It just cries all night. It's the most like unsettling yeah. cry I find. Yeah. It's just like it's not quite it's not quite a human cry, but it's close it's enough. A, it's like almost to the like, point a, where it's like a sheep cry. Yeah, like a like a like a baby lamb cry. Yeah. Mixed with human cry. And it's really unsettling for that and and, and it's persistent. Yeah. Like every few seconds it happens, every few seconds it happens. And the 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 wife can't take it. Mary can't take it. So she she wants to. So she leaves. Yeah. And there's yeah, this she, scene. She, yeah. Yeah. He seems to be like getting through it fine. Like like like, like he's, he can sleep through it. He, he he's is, got yeah. He's he's been able to find a way to 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 get past it, and she just can't. So she just fucking gets up and just 
just screams him. Like, I can't. T-. She gets up in the baby's face, screams at it. Oh yeah, she screams at the baby, which yeah. I thought was messed up. And then she tries to go back to sleep, and that's when he keeps crying. And then she's got to, and then she decides to leave. But she goes underneath the bed, and all we get is this like POV shot of her like grabbing something under the bed, and it's like she can't get it out. She can't get it out. And I'm like, like what, what, the, f- what the heck is she? What the, what's she doing? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's just a suitcase. She just gets yeah. a suitcase. Apparently, she had a suitcase all ready to go. If she wanted to leave, and she's gonna go back to her parents' place. Yeah. Um, and, and then, and before she leaves, she's like, "You better take care of this baby well." <laughs> and I mean, and given the weird circumstance, and even though the circumstances are weird, um, she, this this happens a lot. Yeah. Parent, young, you know, parents get frustrated with taking care of their child. How many stories do we hear of like parents get having to stay up all hours of the night, get up at all hours of the night because their baby's crying for one reason or another and they can't get any sleep and they're frustrated and they're overtired and they're angry and all this kind of stuff, stressed sure. out. And that's kind of what's happening here, just in a more weirder form. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so she leaves and he's left with the baby. And... And what ends up happening is he learns that that the baby is, is uh, sick. sick. Yeah. It, it, suddenly, suddenly he looks back and the baby's got these these spots, all, you know, bumps all over him, and he can barely breathe. You know, it's very disturbing looking. It's it's gross. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he like. Ca- yeah, I was gonna say like. They're very uncomfortable close-ups. I mean, in these in these little, I, I I don't know if they're puppets or mechanical. Um, they look. They must be mechanical. Yeah, like puppets or. But they're uh, great. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Even the chicken I thought was definitely animatronic. Yeah. Just the way in which it moved in the earlier scene. So this, I'm not sure if it's animatronic, or if it's a puppet, or if it's a combination of both. But either way, the close-ups of the baby and the, just the angles that David Lynch is getting are so unsettling disturbing for me because he gets right up in there yeah like he's not he's not afraid to go right up in there get a close-up of like the baby's mouth and just close yeah. up of the skin as it as the baby like you said it has all these like bumps on it and stuff and yeah it's that stuff <laughs> bothers me man like I can watch like I've watched movies with all kinds of violence and and gore and you know horror movies with like um like demonic possessions and decapitations and all kind of stuff, but it's stuff like this that disturbs me. That's I don't because, know why. <laughs> well, I mean, it's 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 you know the fear of the unknown. You don't know what's mm. really going on in this movie, so you're like, I just want to know more. You want to know more, but that's the thing that's good about great movies is the movies don't, don't always give you everything, um, and uh, you fill it in with your imagination. And uh, so he, you know, he. He tries to, I guess, help the baby. He puts like a some boiling water, like va- you know, he like steam like a puts, vaporizer. Yeah, like a vaporizer thing. steam to help him breathe better. And uh, he sits there with the baby while it's it's crying. And then there comes a moment where he wants to leave. Yeah. And um, the baby every time he tries to leave, the baby starts to cry again. And then it yeah, gets so quiet. He just and then sits it gets, down. Yeah. So you know, he decides he can't go anywhere, and he just lays down and goes to bed. And uh, this is when we get our first dream of the uh, woman in the radiator. Yes. Um, and so he like, there's this girl. You see the radio at light, radiator. It lights up, and you see this girl come on the stage, and she's got this like kind of weird face where it's like kind of plastered out to the side. You know, she's got like this like 
extra skin on the sides of her face. It's yes. it's interesting. And um, she's got like a like like um uh, not a beard, but what's that? Like sideburns. Yeah. Like her hair extends down to her, like her face. She's got this big kind of almost clown-like smile on. Yeah. And she's like singing. She almost looks like like a Betty Boop type figure. Somewhat, you know, yeah. Familiar, familiar with Betty Boop. Looks very similar to that, and it's weird and unsettling, but it's not like um, menacing. Like she and she is this. I believe this is when she's she's singing a song, right? Um, uh, yeah, something about heaven. Uh, yeah, in heaven everything is fine. In heaven yeah. everything is fine, and she keeps repeating that over and over again. And and, and um, I have an interpretation about her that I'll get to later. Okay. Um, but um. So then I think we get to him waking up and Mary's there beside her, him and Mary's like f- having a fit in bed. Like she's all like all up in, on him and he's like, I, can you get over a little bit? Like I need some room. And yeah, she keeps like, you know, like, yeah, like pushing him off the bed. basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then he try he like starts to feel under the covers and he starts pulling out what seems to be semen. Yeah. Cause what happens yeah. during the, the singing of the woman in the radiator is all of these like these, huh, lack of a better term, sperm snakes start yeah. falling from the ceiling and they're falling all around her and then she starts stepping on them. Yeah. So um, you could say that this was a wet dream. Because... Um, ooh, ooh you know, good one, Stephen. Yeah, cause, one. you know, so, so he's, you know, you know, he wakes up and he's now he's got this, you know, weird, you know, because jizz doesn't look like this. It's not like uh, little... No, it it's not little pieces of huge sperm, you know... <laughs> He's got like squid these are legs. like garden snakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's throwing. He's just throwing them like against the yeah, wall. Yeah, he's too. pulling them out from under the covers, throwing them to the side, and and um, <laughs> talk about yeah, talk about sexual. Yeah, um, and th- and this is uh, when you get this shot of this, you know, seed, as you as we you know talked about earlier, is in the box, and now we see the seed. And it's like on the planet that we saw at the beginning of the movie, the oh surface my of the planet. Sweet- yeah, and it starts like moving, moving around, dancing around, and and this is why I said that this was the seed of his infidelity. So he has this wet dream about another woman, his dream woman, and now, literally, uh, dream woman. Yeah, and yeah, now that infidelity, that n- desire to be with another woman, is now engaged, and now we get the imagery of that seed hopping up and down, and then. It's moving end. like in and out, moving out, and doesn't it? And at and the it end, opens doesn't it open up. its mouth. Yeah. And then we, oh we go man. inside of it. And yeah. then we go inside of it, and the way David Lynch takes us into it, man. He, oh, this is when the imagery is like it doesn't do us justice explaining it. You kind of have to see it to understand it. But he takes us like down another rabbit hole within a rabbit hole yeah. with the Alice in Wonderland version, and we go and we're going even deeper into this you know, surreal mind of David Lynch. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So we, we go into, like, this blackness. Um, and I think this is where we get to the affair. Um, so he's, you know, just, I think, in his apartment. Um, and then he he runs into the woman, uh, his neighbor, uh, the neighbor woman, and they just kind of have a moment and and just start kissing and... And uh, they go to the bed, and in the bed, the bed turns into this, like, just pull of uh, white liquid or white smoke or 
<laughs> you know, who, who, how can you describe it? Um, yeah, and are you talking about when, like, like they go into the bed, the bed turns into a pool? Yeah. And then, like, her hair becomes, like, a well, living she, thing? Fir- first thing is, is you notice she starts to notice the baby when it's, it's you know, there. Oh, yeah, when she walks in, he covers the baby's, like, face for yeah. it to not make noise, to yeah. not ruin his opportunity. Yes. And, and... Then he's then he gets away with it, and then he starts having sex with her. You know, they're getting getting down to business, Get, and she right, starts right. to notice something else, the, the baby in the room. But he kind of distracts, her, you know, pulls her in, back into the sexual nature of the situation. And then they finally kind of all float. They go down into the puddle in the bed, and, and this is um, where we get a surreal, f- messed up dream to mess up everything. This yeah. is where, like, um. Yeah. Oh, how do I describe this? Okay, here we go. Um, he has a vi- it's a vision dream nightmare where like he he gets like his head decapitated. Yeah. And then in its place, the baby's head starts growing. Yeah. Um, that's a frightening, frightening scene. Yeah. They used to use that on like like um like posters or something, and it used to freak me out. Um, and it's just insanely frightening but what happens to the head is the head gets picked up by like this kid and it, it when it falls down it kind of like cracks open and so it's like his brain is exposed and this kid picks up his head and he's just like running with it like it's a football he's running with it he takes it to these two guys and it's like this this pencil making company industry <laughs> place where like they like test out his head with as like a pencil sharpener and then they use like then they like use his head to make these other pencils uh and and then they test out the pencils to make them uh, to see if they work and it's like yeah they work they're good they're good maybe that's the idea of like eraser head because when you see the pencils being made all you see is like the erasers first up top as they're going along like this this assembly line and yeah it's crazy it's, yeah, it's and then by, at the end of it, you see this this cloud of just pencil dust. Um, yeah, and then gets, the pencil dust get brushed gets brushed off the table of uh, after from the sharpening, and that's when you get that image of of him of you know Jack Nance's Henry with all of the the, the dust around his head. Well, that's la- that's just, later. That's that's is at that the, later. I thought that's that a little was later. Then. It's a little later. Um, okay, n- not too far away from it, but um, I'm a little off. But either way, that's when we're kind of like brought back to like huh, reality. I yeah, guess. at this point, reality <laughs> and dreams, and it's all you don't know what it is. I, to be honest, I don't know what this whole movie isn't doesn't feel real, you know, in no. the tangible terms of of reality. Like I said, the whole film feels like a fever dream for the most part, and that just goes to the way Lynch's films kind of operate in general, but this just feels even more like a fever dream-ish. Yeah. Like the whole movie from beginning to end feels like a fever dream. Now, it, you know, a lot of times over, I mean, over the years when it comes to filmmaking aesthetics, a lot of times a movie, when it goes into what we call a dream sequence, will change the aesthetic to show you that it is a dream to help you realize what is a dream and what's reality. But in these, in a lot of, in David Lynch's movies, he just, everything is the same, you know, the same consistent kind of aesthetic. Um, you know, he might have a stylistic choice or two here, but for the most part, he's 
not he's trying to make sure you're confused <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, what is interesting is he says that this movie is his most spiritual film <laughs> i'm like okay it kind of makes sense if sounds I, I sounds say, like something per, he would say <laughs> if perhaps his most personal film um for for you know like we said the whole you know parental themes that are in it or fear of parental themes existential crisis that goes along with parenting and being a parent but i found you know, just going back to that dream sequence that we kind of you know kind of brushed over a little bit um i think i find the idea of his head being replaced with his child's head yeah this idea of parental and you know childlike attachment that exists and how how close it is to the point where it's you're almost sharing this you share the same existence for the most part for a long time well, there's that you know what and, i mean there's that and there's the fear that that the person the, if you're not proud of the person that you are that you're kid's going to be the same as you are you know like this idea yeah. that that you're going to pass over your your faults to your child and that you know you're afraid you know afraid that he's going to become you and and that's that's very much in the imagery of of him you know well, him, i his, also find it uh, i find it interesting that he placed that specific um and you know sequence after the uh, getting together with the the you know, neighbor lady. Yeah, I, I think it also means that his son is now going to be the face of his life. Like it's the only right. thing that's important. You know, not only that, but perhaps I mean I may be t- going on a limb here, but it, like this idea of the fear of resentment of your child, like your yeah. child is going to hold you back from the things you want yeah. and the sacrifices you're going to have to make, a la you know, you know, being with this attractive woman if you will. Yeah. And often, and as we saw, he already did that. He already tried to cover up his child's um, noise because it would have ruined his opportunity with the attractive woman who was who was um, going after him. Yeah, I, I think... Who was putting herself upon him. You know, another movie that really did a did kind of <laughs> delve into them themes also, a, a recent note, is uh, The Babadook. Yeah. You know, it's very much about how a, a, a mother who's kind of resenting her child's existence and it turns into a nightmare you know creates this yeah, creature ma- literally manifests itself into a real life horror yeah um you know and just and, and even blaming the child resenting the child for the absence of the other parent who has passed away and in a way we don't see mary in the rest of the movie she's no she, she those... she's disappeared She's, she's in be- three scenes of the movie. Yeah, she's in the you know when they meet the parents. She's in that other scene we talked about when we first see the child, and then she's in that other scene where he's where he wakes up from the radiator lady dream, and then after that she's gone. So where like is she? Did she abandon the child? Is he now? She, she's a probably working. Parent? She's probably working. Oh, I could make that would make sense. I mean, yeah. I I only lead that because from what we learned from her so far. Is that she's already left once? Could she in fact leave again? Sure, but I don't think that that's. I think if I if I'm I could be remembering wrong. Did but did, the, did he say that she was working? Well, I think yeah. I think at the dinner scene by the end of the dinner scene, the mom brings up the fact that somebody in the family has to work, and it's a good thing that that she's got oh, a job. Yeah. Okay. I think she, I think she brings that up, so she's probably okay. working, um, and that's why she's never there, and he has to stay home and take care of the kid. Um, so yeah, very, very true. I, 
Good thing you're here for those details. I forgot. Sometimes, um, sometimes I do. I, I remember things. Yes. Nice. <laughs> hopefully, I was yeah, that, that was that brain truth. power working. Hopefully, that was truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, we didn't just make this up but, as we um, go along. Um, but getting back to that, I I feel like there's a serious amount of that existential parental resentment in the movie, especially yeah. by that point. Yeah. Um, and it kind of I think it goes right into the next scene. I mean, which is. Um, it's where well one he 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 leaves the apartment Henry does to go over to once again see um the woman across the hall knocks on the door and she's not there so he goes back and then I believe she returns and she she has another someone. man with her with her yeah. yeah I mean she's only I mean I keep calling her like attractive neighbor lady but she's only credited as <laughs> beautiful girl across the hall so it's kind of the only credit she has um and she as so and she's with somebody else and i don't know if it's just in his head or if it's actually true because by this point what's real and what's not they're kind of taunting him in a way you know what i mean well like, i think she, i think she wants i him. think she wants him to know that he, that he's off the table and that and i think he knows that mm. too and then that's why we get the image again of the the son's head on his body and that quick shot is that he yes. knows in his mind that it's his child that got in the way again. Yeah. And like, you know. yeah, there's that, re- yeah, that's the resentment I was literally leading into. Yeah. Like it becomes more obvious. And so he kind of, he closes the door and then he looks through the keyhole and he sees them still. And then they go into the other apartment. Yeah. And this is when probably one of the most disturbing sequences I've ever seen <laughs> in a movie ever occurs. And it was traumatizing when I saw it eight years ago, when I saw it for the first time, and it's still traumatizing when I watched it last night. Yeah. Um, where he takes the scissors, he takes these scissors and cuts open the bandages that are wrapped around the child. And, oh, Stephen. Well, yeah, it, yeah. It's he, just like the bandages are his body. I I mean, like, there's, the there's, noise there's, that some, it's there's making, some pieces it's just, in there. Um, but this is, you know, the imagery here. Somebody explained in an analysis that yeah, this very much shows the. It's almost like the sex organ itself, the penis, and it looks like two balls, two testicles, and he stabs them. Oh, but it, but the no, the sound yeah that this that this child is making and wriggling and just the way in which David Lynch is edit has this edited together has this has has the shots intercutting with one another makes it so horrific to me. Like literally it's like watching somebody being slow tortured to death. Yeah. Which is literally what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's bleeding happening. to death and then this like pus it, it comes spits out, out it spits out blood and it's kinda of like screaming and oh this pus is coming out of it. And it's like it's overtaking brutal, his body and And then like all that yeah, all that pus shows up. It looks like um like foam from like um a fire extinguisher just exploding. Yeah. And mm. And, and then, then he beco- then he becomes big, like he becomes you know, gigantic. Yeah, and then Massive, and I think that's just all, obviously anim- it's just like an image of it in his mind, you know. It, but uh, it looks like a giant animatronic yeah. to me. Like it just yeah. it's massive, like paper mache thing. Yeah. I mean, the spectral effects aren't exactly high, you know. You know, this isn't Star Wars we're talking about here for the seventies, because even with like the the severed head earlier on, like it looked like a prop, like it looked like yeah, a yeah. mannequin's head. Like, it didn't look like a real head, like, with moving eyes or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, it's... It, 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 
he shoots up the giant giant form and it's just massive and what what happens doesn't it like um doesn't it yeah it, it then it gets it gets replaced by the planet doesn't it well yeah we we get an image of the planet and now we see the 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 man and the planet trying to hold the levers he's trying to pull the levers back down like he's you know cuz you got to remember this this man in inside this planet is kind of a representative of of his conscience um you know pulling the levers inside Henry's head to to keep him from doing things and and not you know from doing things and not doing things and um to me and this gets into like the representation of like the woman in the radiator and stuff like that um i think that the woman in the radiator is him having it, at first it was kind of like a, a fantasy of i think being with other women but i think it's also um personifies as she's like death i think that he wants to kill himself i think he's decided well, she, does, she does keep saying you know keeps referencing heaven which yeah keeps talking only about after die, it's better it's better people. in heaven you know everything's better yeah. in heaven and so at the end you know when he this is where you get the shot with the the pencil shavings and the the you know the big you know fly you know busts behind them and then he then we kind of like zoom in on him and it goes to white and then we get the woman in the uh radiator there and she's just singing to him and then he meets her in person and then they hug and then that's how it ends i mean that's you know yeah the the screen goes completely white yeah and then cuts to black and then credits show and then and then um that song plays um Steve, you know the song. No, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know this one. <laughs> uh, it's like um, Look on the Bright Side of Life. Yeah. That song. Okay. You know, a very cheery, happy song, yeah. which is not exactly what the movie is about whatsoever. But towards the end, you know, in that final sequence, I found the intercutting between everything that's happening and kind of crescendoing and just mixing together just is kind of mind-boggling like there's the sparks from like the wall and then like the lights flickering and then that planet is breaking up and then you get the sparks from the guy trying to work trying to keep the lever steady and everything is kind of just like mashing together (laughs) and then like we said then it kind of ends with the lady and all that stuff but i just found all of that just like crashing together at the end just just to be a heck of a a finale yeah and that's a racer head but to be honest you need to see this movie for yourself to truly experience, to truly experience it. Yeah. Because it's it, we don't do it justice enough, and it's it's just a heck of a journey if you haven't gone through it or if you haven't seen it in a while. It's it's worth a rewatch, but going into it, I found it to be even just as disturbing as before. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard movie to talk about too. I mean, we we yeah, I think it, I... it, out of all the movies, it's the toughest to to really get into be just because. Plot-wise, there's not much there for plot. The movie itself is only like it's 89 at, minutes long. Hour 32 minutes, yeah. I mean, it's and the thing is, like, there's not a lot going on within it, and there's also not a lot happening within the scenes. Um, in the sense that cinematography-wise, David Lynch kind of kept everything relatively, um, uh, you know, with with not a lot of coverage. Yeah. So you're just seeing things play out in front of you, matter of factly, and just just happening there's not a lot of like 
there's not a lot of staying power within these scenes and we're just moving along especially when we get when we're going through these dream sequences and things are just getting thrown at you one after the other to to just knock you around like a roller coaster ride <laughs> you really gotta like be on your toes and and i found the film to be really engrossing like the oh, first yeah. hour went by so quickly for me because i was just trying to stay involved and staying involved makes the movie move very, very quickly. Like I said, the movie's only eighty nine minutes. Yeah. For some people, this is not this is not the movie for them. Obviously, I, I think I think you I think sometimes filmmakers like Lynch that deal in surrealism. I mean, not even necessarily surrealistic filmmakers, but I think the longer into their careers, the more self indulgent they get, and the longer oh, their, yeah. and the longer their yeah. movies get. So, like this movie to me is at perfect length for this type of movie. But then later on, he's going to start to make these two and a half hour epic things, yeah, which like, they're still great movies. But yeah, like his last film, which is Inland Empire, I believe, if memory serves, that movie is like nearly three hours long. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, exactly three hours long, yeah. according to IMDb. Um, and yeah, that's an, that's a very long movie for for any for any, for any type movie. Of genre but or these type of movies can be tough to watch when they're that long. Um, and so, you know, though I would say you know, something like Lost Highways is maybe my favorite of his movies, mm-hmm. I still appreciate maybe this movie on a, on a different level for being more efficient um, with its storytelling and not so self-indulgent or meander- me- meandering. Or um, Yeah, and, and I mean, I guess this is a better segue to, to get into it as anyone, just not to, not to just talk over you, but like... I think there's a specific reason for that, and I guess it goes into what I was trying to get at before: is that this movie is, you know, super low budget. They ran out of, they ran out of money so many times. They ran out of like film stock and and you know stuff like that to use. That they had to make this movie um, <clears throat> over several years. I think it was like four to five years it took this movie to be made, and they shot it. Um, like the AFI had like a like a like a stables that they that they retrofitted into sets, like an old mansion that they retrofitted into sets, and then they use and they would um, anytime they would have to shoot like in town, they would only shoot when it was overcast, and they couldn't shoot with any type of modern cars or modern things in 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 the way. So this film was very specifically done, tailor made to David Lynch's mind, and to the people involved with the making of the movie. For those of you interested in just the making of this movie, the Criterion itself has an 86-minute like making of the like, documentary feature that is, like I said, is as nearly long as the movie itself yeah. from 2001. And they have a new interview from 2014 with a lot of the people who were involved in making the movie, and they really go into you know the specific specificity as I uh, how the movie was made and just. The way, the way they would do things and how gorilla it was like the just to get the radiator sound like David Lynch like um like he called up someone and was like hey do you have a radiator can I I just I just need I just you know I just need to use it to make this sound can I do that and of course when it came to just the ideas behind this movie David Lynch himself has said that he doesn't really remember how <laughs> how the origins of this movie happened. I I mean a lot of things I read online is he took inspiration from um, from stories that he read specifically. Um, I think it was a Kafka story, um, 
and like another another short story from like the 19th century that he that he um that he he had got inspiration from but it was also but it was all funded by a grant from like uh the American Film Institute which is you know specifically known as the AFI and the AFI had only existed for a few years at that point so they didn't have like a lot of you know, publicly funded money to give away for projects. Yeah. Uh, the AFI, I think, still exists today. I think yeah. they're still, like, funding productions and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's all, they also, like, like they also teach people how to make movies as well. And it's, like, a, I believe it's a government-funded thing. Yeah. I believe it is. And, yeah, so it was a really, like, low-budget, specific movie that, that, and that's kind of why it's very streamlined. Like, every single, you know, Every single scene, every single moment of this movie, I think, is inherently important to moving to creating this tapestry of this movie. Like, I, I'm curious if there was a longer cut of this movie and what it would look like. Like, uh, yeah, would, man, yeah, would it be I, even weirder? That's what I want to say. Maybe I don't. I, I, I don't know that it would be as good. I think this is a. It's. It's. I think this movie is pretty close to perfect for what kind of movie it is. Uh, I don't yeah, know that I would want to change any, anything. Yeah, and and for any David Lynch aficionado, it's obviously a must. I think it's a must, must watch and must own. Um, and this would and he would go on to direct. Like I think the movie he did after this was The Elephant Man, which yeah. couldn't be more different of a movie. Yeah, other than <laughs> it he, being in black and white, it's yeah, it, yeah, it's completely different. It's and the it's do, probably the most Hollywood movie he ever did. You know, I I, I would say Dune is. Well, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess. You're right, yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting that he would do Eraserhead, Elephant Man, Dune, then Blue Velvet, and then, of course, Twin Peaks would kick in. Then he did Wild at Heart, which is a movie yeah. more people, I think, need to see, starring the great Nicolas Cage, as well as Laura Dern. And I just remember Nick Cage has a great snakeskin jacket in that movie. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really underrated movie. Willem Dafoe plays a sleazebag in it, which is pretty much in Willem Dafoe's wheelhouse. Um, but, yeah, I'm a, I've always been a big fan of David Lynch. He was one of those filmmakers who kind of, like, opened up my mind to surreal cinema and the, the, um, the world in cinema being more than what Hollywood has shown us. You know what I mean? Like, Stephen and I, I would say we fairly grew up in similar movie backgrounds, you know, going to the... The movies as a kid to see the, the new arrivals and the new action movies that came out in the 90s and all that stuff yeah. and it wasn't until later that that, that that we got into these types of movies so it was good i find that david I, lynch was a great place to start for me yeah i, th- I would <clears throat> i would definitely um attribute my spark uh, uh to, to andrew here andrew really helped helped open my eyes he gave me some suggestions uh when we started you know really uh becoming friends and i started to really just branch out after after meeting andrew um and then uh i think also paired with that i think i got to a point as a film person that i was starting to get bored somewhat like i was starting to get kind of bored by what i was watching and feeling like everything i was watching felt the same um and so i was like well i'm gonna go watch this movie from this other country you know or i'm gonna you know i'm gonna watch this movie that looks weird like i'm gonna watch you know i'm gonna watch a shitty movie <laughs> you know just just because i mean like it's right it's a wild world of cinema and 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 uh it's not always supposed to it shouldn't always be easy i mean i i think sometimes it's good to challenge yourself when you're watching movies too yeah i yeah. always like 
and people wonder why I love these types of movies and I love like art house, like art house horror or art house cinema in general or whatever it is. Um, because I love movies that challenge me hmm. and also challenge the medium. Like they don't, they don't, um, they don't live within that rule book where that rubric where you have to have, you know, a beginning, middle, and end. You have to have a first act, second act, third act. You gotta have, you know, this story beat, that story beat, and then a climax. You know, you've got you gotta have a linear plot line. You've gotta do all of this this I would say, you know, traditional bullshit that they yeah. teach you in film school. But then you get into films like David Lynch and like Louis Bune Will and like uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky and then Werner Herzog and all these other, you know, surrealist, you know, uh, filmmakers and whatnot. And you realize that there are no rules when it comes to cinema and that you can and you can do whatever you want and people will can respond to that because the medium is is an artistic medium at its heart. And your art can be expressed in any way you want it to be. Yep. It doesn't have to be expressed in only this one specific way. And after you've watched, you know, Stephen and I have watched, you know, hundreds or thousands of movies, and you begin to see, like, the same patterns over and over again. You want to see something different. And we always bring up this idea. I mean, I'm going to go off on a tangent, so reel me in here. But, like, <laughs> people always complain, like, oh, that they just keep putting out the same movies over and over again. That is true. But they also put out like independent, smaller movies that people don't watch. Yes. <laughs> that people don't well, go to the I, movies I think, to watch. I think a lot of people, when they say that they want something new, I don't think they really want something new. I think they just want to see the same thing uh, with different uh, toppings. Uh, you know, like, if, like you know, you want a different pizza, but you you want some sausage this time instead of pepperoni. Right. You, they don't really want something new. They just want to see somebody else do it. Uh, yeah, with... and that's yeah, and that's like, like yeah, I can I can, I can show you stuff, but it doesn't mean you're gonna like it. Like I can show you, you know, different types of movies, but it doesn't mean that you're gonna like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you got to be really specific in what you want, um, and how you want to be challenged. Um, this is it's, yeah. So David Lynch and all those guys, I just am indebted to them, and that's why like I always. My my mo favorite movie choices are always changing. My favorite directors are always changing, but there are certain names that stay the same. Like David Lynch, I think, will always be in my top 10 to 15 filmmakers, even though he hasn't made a movie since 2006. Yeah. And you can argue that perhaps Twin Peaks The Return is a, you know, 19-hour movie or, or however long it is. And people have made that that argument and i don't disagree with them because it feels extremely cinematic and it's it's lynched to the to the 11th degree yeah. but um he hasn't made you know a cinematic theatrical movie since 2006 yeah, he, he, he and i don't know if he's going to yeah i don't know if he will i mean I, he he continues to to delve you know he does these little shorts and things like that but he hasn't yeah. done a feature in a while um, yeah he did a short that came out on netflix Netflix um with a monkey with, yeah he was talking to a monkey <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's called is it the one that's called what did Jack do yes yeah. it is yeah in a lockdown train station a homicide detective conducts an interview with a tormented monkey <laughs> yeah, yeah it's only like 17 minutes long and it's it's insane but it's so David Lynch and now every day he does like a weather report <laughs> as of this recording as of whatever the day is August. 28th 2020 um for like weeks and weeks now he's been doing daily weather reports 
uh, just from like his office and his home, I guess, or wherever in California. And it's just him looking out the window saying, uh, you know, it's cloudy today or something like that. Or he'll, he'll say like so many random David Lynch stuff. But he, to me, I think he's a cinematic treasure because if you've ever seen hey. him in interviews and the way he talks about movies, and he's like, he has this thing where like, and what is interesting is we break this rule all the time, but uh, he said that like, you know, people have this tendency to right after they see a movie, they want to analyze it right away. Yeah. And he's like, no, don't don't do that. I you, don't, you shouldn't be doing that. And and we break that rule all the time because it's well, no, that's what I, we do. I definitely do. Um, I don't like to ever, um, you know, I like to have first reactions, uh, but I never want to. I never will condemn a movie. Most movies after right after viewing it, you know, like if I didn't like it. I like to think about it and stuff. It just depends on how, you know, how solid I feel about my reaction to a movie. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think you should definitely uh, think about something before you really um, express your thoughts. Um, right. And I mean, that goes yeah, for that goes for, a, that goes for a lot of things in life. <laughs> yeah, you should, I mean, specifically when it comes to movies and art and things like that, I think it's best to... To let it sit, let it ferment, let it, let it, let time go by. A little bit of time. Everything moves so fast in our society, especially when it comes to talking about movies. I feel like, like I, like, um, I, I reviewed movies on my YouTube channel for like three years, and I just remember like, you, you've got to get those reviews out right away. And it's like, it's so many people like doing them like from the from their phone at the movie theater as they walk out, and I'm like, whoa, that's that's they're trying to beat the rush, I guess. But it's like, you know. Take your time and let those movies ferment, and and let them, especially his films, let them let them be discussed because he's giving away. He tells you nothing when it comes to the interpretation of his movies. Yeah. He'll tell you like how he made them, or why he casted some people in certain certain roles, or keep or recasting people, but he'll never tell you how to interpret any of his films, and which I think is kind of cool because he thinks he, he leaves it up to us. Yeah. As individuals, because each, because you know, movies speak to people differently. Yeah, they really do. But when it comes to all of his work, I would say, um, I mean, where I where I dove in was probably not the best place to dive in. Was Blue Velvet? I don't know what your first <laughs> film was. Uh, Eraserhead. Eraserhead. What was your first one? You started right at the beginning. Yep. I think I started with I either started with Blue Velvet and then Mulholland Drive, and I bought them on DVD. Um. I think that's where I went, and then I think I after that I had gotten into Twin Peaks and then and whatnot. I'll be honest; I think Twin Peaks is the best place to start with his work. Really? Because it's it's one. I think it's one of the best television series of all time. Um, it it was years ahead of its time in terms of its uh, of its storytelling pace and its mystery and things like that. It was kind of like you remember how Lost was early on in yeah. its run. Where it was like a it was like a super mystery and people were hooked on it and stuff like that. That was basically Twin Peaks circa nineteen ninety. Yeah. <laughs> that was it was the lost of its time. And then like certain things happened where, you know, it ended after two seasons and then we got a revival series a few years ago. And from what I've heard, we may get even more stuff later on. I don't know. But all I know is they keep coming out with these big complete collections of Blu rays. Um, they have the Z through A set now. Yeah, and I have it's that. like, yeah. and I know Steven has, it, and he showed it to me. And yeah. it, I, it's, I'm jealous. I'm jealous because I got the other ones. Yeah, but it's like, what if there's more? There's always the sure, what if there's sure, more for sure. your collector. 
But we have to wrap this up soon before I start rambling about Yeah, let's go ahead movies. and uh, cut this short. But before we do, yes. as usual, uh, the next person uh, pitches the movie for the next, uh, the next episode, and uh, it is Andrew's turn. So, Andrew, uh, surprise me. Ooh, here we go. So I'm always as ill-prepared for this as possible. Yeah, so. he... he, he typically does not he waits to the last minute to figure I wait out what to the, I, I have a serious procrastination problem he does See, let, let, me, let me explain this to you guys yes yeah, we always yeah. talk about trying to start an episode at 7 30 and we never do oh oh, 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 oh <laughs> that's a shot that's a shot <laughs> he, he, he i just want to i just want to bring this up because it's funny because it's like 7 30 we're gonna we're gonna get you get usually not till about 7 45 maybe even closer to eight before we actually get on webcams and start talking to each other, because right. this guy waits to the last minute. I don't know what yes, his I set. Do. I don't know what his setup is. I know. I know right. you have to use the bathroom sometimes. I know. You know oh yeah, like, I gotta make sure I go. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I'm with beforehand. you. But I, I mean, just. You I, I figured I'd call just, you out. That's on just the, etiquette. That's I, just I figured etiquette. I'd call you out on the episode because I thought it was funny. Cause, oh cause, yeah, of course. Why yeah. not? I mean, it, it, he's not lying. I do wait till last second, and I do have a serious procrastination problem, and it it goes back to like, like, like I'll be honest, I. I kind of blame schooling for that. I don't know because I used to do it all the time in yeah. school when it came to like uh, deadlines and like uh, you know dates when you have to get things to do uh, do by and all that kind of stuff. I would always wait till the last second. Um, it also created like a a lifelong uh, series of anxiety that I have yeah. because of it. And it's like you know I hate I hate having due dates and timelines and all that kind of stuff. It's it's so <laughs> it's so controlling. But when it comes to a movie. That I um, want to talk about next. Uh, so far, we've last two. We've we've did we did. Um, we, well, did we did we did a comedy. Week. We did a, a, a coming of age story, and then now we did David Lynch Eraserhead. This is the, you know them are the last few we've done. Um, I think it's time we go animated because we've never ah, done animated. Yeah, before. we had. Yeah, I don't know that we've done. Have we done an animated movie? Did we, have we ever done I one? I don't believe so. Well, we might not no, have. I don't I'm know. Gonna go with one of my f- I'm, I'm going to go with one of my favorites of all time, and I rewatched it recently uh, for my birthday a few months ago, and that is um, Hayao Miyazaki's uh, Princess Mononoke. Okay. Because it's one of my favorite animated films of all time, and it, it'll give us an excuse to talk a little bit about Studio Ghibli and talk about, you know... Yeah. The... Their, their 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 world of cinema that's been around for a long long time, and I think Princess Mononoke is one of my favorite. A lot of people would say that Spirited Away is their favorite, and I was battling back and forth. But I feel like Spirited Away gets brought up and talked about a lot more than Princess Mononoke does. Yeah. So I thought I would go with that. I just really love no, this movie. No, I, I I I actually kind of tend to agree with. I, I kind of enjoy that uh, Princess Mononoke more. Um, even maybe something like Howl's Moving Castle would have been yeah. where I would have went. Um, but um, yeah, Princess yeah. Mononoke there is are, great. Yeah, Howl's Moving Castle, Castle in the Sky. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into all of the titles like Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, which I think is underrated. Um, even My Neighbor Totoro is, is, a, is fantastic, but it's such a light and happy, happy movie that... I don't know if we could dedicate a whole episode just. To be I think like, if we went oh, way how back, how cute is that Totoro? I think you after, I, mean? or I think <laughs> after Eraserhead, we can't go too far in the other direction, or we're gonna like right. have a heart attack or something. You know, we, <laughs> you know, it'll be it's too like much of a bo- shock. You know. Yeah, it's like it's like when your body goes from like extreme heat to extreme cold. Yeah, we don't want to. Do we don't want to kill somebody on the other end of this 
episode, you know, <laughs> listening to us talk about Eraserhead and then going to something really happy. And yeah, then, and like, when I you go know, to, like, you know, like, I, I can't even think what's the happiest movie of all time, but, like, something super happy. Yeah. Um, S- so Singing what? in the Rain or something, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to think of, like, this is the movie Happy Go Lucky. That's the Mike Lee movie. Is it Happy Go Lucky? Yeah. With a Mike Lee movie with. All right, this um, is a tangent that we don't need to go on. Yeah, come on now. All right. But at so, least I at least want to I want to make sure that I got the right title of the movie. Oh Jesus! Yeah, it is. It is called Happy Go Lucky with Sally Hawkins, which she's just like <laughs> super happy. She's super happy and optimistic the whole time, even when people are like yelling at her. She can't stop smiling. It's like we don't want to go like that 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 level of happy. How about an Ernest movie? Oh, what was your favorite? Uh, Ernest Halloween. Oh, Probably that's everyone's that. favorite. Yeah. Everybody likes that one or the Christmas one because they play yeah. it every year during yeah. the holidays. Sorry. I always liked Ernest. I always liked Ernest Goes to Jail, but nobody ever liked that one. That one's kind of weird. That one's kind of dark. Yeah, he's got like a do- like an evil doppelganger in it. Yeah. That is pretty good. Off. That one's pretty good too, though. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while since I've watched them, but um, let let's stop the rambling. So next week, next yes. episode, we we will be talking uh, Princess Mononoke from uh, Hayao Miyazaki. So that'll be great. And um, where can we find you, Andrew? You can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can find me on Instagram at Cinema Discovery Project or on Letterboxd at Cinema Discovery. You can find the audio for this podcast on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. <laughs>